broken, it's broken. You can either fix it or walk away from it. There's more out there. Sad. I want to repair. Either try to work it out or to let it go. <laughs> well, I think you could reach out and try to mend it, but if they're not willing to like change to help the relationship, then it's done. You just gotta figure out a way to get over it. I mean, you gotta find something that makes you happier than previously. It's hard, but you have to like value yourself more than other people, and if someone's like willing to hurt you for their own self-gratification, then they're not worth your time. I guess either put your best effort forth, and if uh, it doesn't work out, you try your hardest and you're just gonna have to walk away. It's just not meant to be. What well, is good for us to be together here in worship this morning? If uh, you're newer with us, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, today to Genesis chapter 41, uh, at least to start. We'll kind of work our way through a few more of those chapters. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you at all or one digitally, there's one uh, there in the pew rack you should be able to find to use here today. And as you t turn there, I'm, I'm suspecting that for the most part in this room, you all are familiar with, you know, those, I guess you could say those, that home improvement show lineup that we find on HGTV. Uh, you turn on that program or that channel and you're going to see a flip or flop or you got those property brother guys, those twins, uh, love it or list it. Uh, my wife's personal favorite of the Chip and Joanna Gaines crew, uh, Fixer Upper. Uh, but I was trying to think back, like, I think it all started with, uh, do you remember that show? trading spaces. Remember that one where like two neighbors would trade houses and they'd decorate a room and some decorator would come in and it would always end, if you remember, with some dude being so upset that some designer took out their ceiling fan for some fancy life. They wanted to keep the ceiling fan. That was always a big deal. Anyway, um, at our house, we don't get HGTV. And so for us, for Jessica and I, my wife and I, and this is, I'm sorry, this is really sad, but true. Um, in our life, when we go on vacation together, our idea of an ideal vacation is going somewhere that has cable and watching HGTV <laughs> in a city we don't live in. That's vacation. And so <laughs> essentially what with these shows, they, they all center around uh, essentially some sort of fixing upping of a house or a physical structure that uh, needs some help or needs to be, you know, swapped out or something like that. But really, I think that those shows, they really just hit the surface of what we really need in life. Because really, when we get honest with what needs fixer-upping in our lives, it's not so much the homes, and maybe it is the physical structures, but more so, it's the relationships that take place in those homes, or maybe the relationships that take place outside of those homes. And so really that's what we want to look at in our final week of uh, Tell Me More, and that is how do I respond to a broken relationship? And really out of all the subjects that we've looked at, this you could say is at least leading out, not the most theological of the four, it's the one that you would say is the most interpersonal. And so the reason that we face this and the reason it's still a question is because we all face this to varying degrees, maybe in big ways or maybe in small ways. We all face situations in our lives with relationships that could use some fixer-upping. You know, again, whether it's a relationship that's right inside your own home with your spouse or your kids, or maybe it's outside of the home with your extended family. Maybe it's just outside the front door, you know, with some real frustration and some difficulties that you have with, with your physical neighbors. 
uh, or maybe outside of our family, we recognize the people that we spend the most time with, and maybe sadly sometimes even more so than our own families, are our coworkers. And this can be for better or for worse. Maybe it's a broken relationship that we face within the context of the church. Maybe someone right here in this very room within this church or maybe within a previous church setting that's broken or an awkward situation. You know, students, students, I know that you're at this stage of life where friendships are at a pretty difficult, challenging kind of roller coaster way. And I know we got a row of college students back here and like, you know, dating relationships. It's like, it's a weird season. I remember those days of, of you know, is this just dating? Is this someone I'm going to be with the rest of my life? It's a, there's a lot going on in the world of relationships at all stages of our lives. And so we all face this. Yes, in the big ways, but again, also in the small ways. We have some sort of rhythm or expectation that there's going to be some brokenness within our life's relationships. And sometimes those relationships, they feel like, you know, it's a, it's a flip or flop or a, a love it or list it. Like you used to love it, but then the toxic nature of that friendship or that group of friends or that dating relationship or those coworkers, you know, you realize, okay, I used to love it, but now it's time to list it. It's time to set that broken relationship maybe aside. But hopefully, and today what we really want to focus on is that most of the time, our hope and our prayer is that in most of our life's relationships, that it would just be, you could say, a little fixer-upper. A little fixer-upper. You know, maybe a, a few walls need to come down to give us a more open concept when it comes to our communication together. And so today... That's what we want to do. We want to look at God's word and see how, um, you, guess you could say it's demo day. How can we you know, take down these ugly walls of brokenness that we find in our life's relationships? And if I were to just give the, uh, you know, that sledgehammer just one word, one word that comes from God's word for us today as to how he wants us to respond to a broken relationship, that word would be forgiveness. That when it comes to the one thing that God calls us to do and shows us that is his best way to respond to a broken relationship, the response is always forgiveness. Now, as I say that, I recognize that I've lost a lot of you for two reasons. One, you've heard this sermon before. You've been in church, and of course, we're going to talk about forgiveness, because that's what you do. That's what Jesus said, do you even forgive your enemies. And so you've heard this sermon, and you've heard the sermon, and you know that in the backstory of your life, there is that one situation. There is that one setting where you said, you know what, I've heard the forgiveness sermon. I've heard the, that is the one situation I cannot and will not forgive. If you understood, you would understand. And so maybe I've lost you on that front. Uh, on the flip side, I think there's those of you who, um, you also have heard this sermon many times before. In fact, you've heard it so many times, it's like you, you could preach the sermon and you would say, you know, honestly, I'm not sure how applicable this is to me because I just don't have that, that big broken relationship in my life. I'm, I, you, know, I, you know, I have empathy for those who do, but I just don't have that, that story. I don't have that big gap, that unforgiveness, this bitterness or resentment toward anyone. In my, I'm just, I just don't have it, so it really doesn't apply to me. Well, let me encourage you that we all, not just the big things, but in the daily small things, we all have something to learn and to gain from Jesus' continued encouragement to, you could say, forgive us our debts as we forgive even just the little debts day in and day out in our life's relationships. And so I'd encourage you to listen with fresh ears and a fresh heart to a topic that might seem familiar, but one that, again, because God's word it says it never comes back void, he has something for all of us in his word today. And so let's see what he has for us. We're going to look at God's word here in Genesis chapter 
Actually, we're going to be looking at several chapters, but um, it's a story of Joseph that we're going to look at here in verse 40, or excuse me, chapter 41, as uh, really it's a pretty extreme fixer-upper story, uh, the story we're going to look at in the person of Joseph. Joseph, we find his story in the first book of Genesis, and it's a story that um, is a pretty powerful story about a critical character you could say, in the history and the story of our Christian faith. Because it's through Joseph, who is the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, that Joseph, along with 11 other brothers, become the 12 tribes of Israel, in which we have Israel, and then that fulfills God's promises to Joseph's great-grandpa Abraham, that he's going to bless the whole world through his lineage. And then through that lineage comes none other than Jesus Christ, who then in turn transforms our lives right here. So what we see is that God's plan for all of this takes place. It's a, there's a crux, there's a, there's a link in the chain that could have been broken because Joseph chose to trust God even in the midst of an extremely broken relationship. And so the story of Joseph is this. Maybe you're unfamiliar with it, or maybe it's been a while since you've heard it, and I'd encourage you, it's one of my favorite stories in scripture. Genesis 37 through 50 has that whole story, but I'm just going to kind of give us a synopsis to get us up to speed. Uh, and the story, it all started with Joseph as the youngest at the time of his uh, 10 older brothers. Uh, he had these dreams about how he would one day, you know, be appointed to rule over his brothers. And not being a wise I mean, he's still young. He's still got some things to learn. He shared this with his brothers. Now, I don't know if, if any youngest in the family, when you tell the oldest that you're going to like rule over them one day, that's not going to go so well. Um, and you think you might expect, you know, they might hold him down, put him in a headlock, give him a noogie or something like that. But unfortunately, the story of Joseph is, is much darker and much worse than that. Um, the brothers band together and actually choose to kill their little brother. They, they throw him into a pit to die. Um, but at that time, you could say in a good way, maybe not, uh, there was a slave caravan that was, that was passing by. And so one of the brothers thought, hey, why, would, why not at least profit from this kid? And so they rescue him, but only to sell him into slavery. And then from there, Joseph's story, it's, you could say it's a classic story of what we, we might call a whole lot of bad things happening to a good person. Um, from there, Joseph, he remains faithful to God even in the midst of these difficult circumstances. But he was, during his slavery, he was um, falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit, so he's thrown into jail. Uh, he was promised uh, a pass out of jail from uh, some of the king's servants that, you know, he was able to interpret a dream for them. But once kind of he did what he did for them, they forgot about him. And so he was left in jail uh, for many more years. And then uh, there was an opportunity with the king of the entire land, the pharaoh over all of Egypt, um, who, who had some dreams. And one of the king's servants remembered there was a guy down in prison who, in the dungeons, who could interpret dreams. And so Joseph, or, yeah, Joseph gets this opportunity before Pharaoh to interpret these dreams, and he does so successfully. And so he interprets the Pharaoh's dream, saying that what's going to happen is a prophetic dream from God that over the next seven years, the land would be blessed with you know, a bountiful harvest and plenty and everything's going to be great, but that would immediately be followed by seven years of famine and nothingness. And so Joseph is able to interpret these dreams, and from there, Pharaoh then, you could say, gives him the ultimate promotion from the dungeons all the way to being second in command over all of Egypt. It goes like this in Genesis 41, verse 39, if you want to follow with me. It says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, verse 39, it says, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made this all known to you, 
There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Joseph said to Joseph, excuse me, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And so we see that Joseph has, you could say the ultimate success story of going from the dungeons uh, to the highest appointed uh, position in all the land. Uh, it would make quite a memoir and I think it'd be difficult to come up with many you know, successory stories that would be better than what Joseph experienced in his life. But as we know, that even with all this success, there is no level of success that can make up or cover up the brokenness of the relationships that are left in its wake. And so flip over to Genesis chapter 45, that even amidst all the success of, of being the ruler, the prime minister essentially over all of Egypt and all the land, uh, see how this story picks up. 13 years after Joseph was uh, sold into slavery, he comes face to face with those same brothers again. They, they are at his doorstep uh, looking for food. They've come because, again, he's, he's ruling over all this you know, harvest and now they're in famine. And so they've come looking for food. And after several interactions, Joseph's brothers, they don't even recognize him. And so after 13 years of not seeing one another, Joseph chooses to reveal his identity. This is how the story goes. Chapter 45, verse uh, 1. It says, then Joseph, he could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were unable to answer him because they were absolutely terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. Now, as we read this account, this reaction of Joseph to his brothers after 13 years of unresolved wounds and unresolved betrayal, we don't just, we don't just read it. I mean, you experience this alongside him. And we see that in this experience that Joseph is expressing how he is naturally responding to the hurt and the betrayal of his own brothers, we see the first step that we need to understand when it comes to the process of forgiveness in our broken relationships. And that is number one, we have to acknowledge and recognize the pain and the offense. We need to call it what it is. We need to acknowledge the pain and acknowledge the offense. Joseph acknowledges the pain by allowing himself to experience and express that pain. And to be candid, this is where we as Christians sometimes completely derail the process of forgiveness. In that we mistakenly think that somehow forgiveness means uh, excusing prematurely the weight of the wrong, of the evil, of the pain that was the result of whatever the situation was. We, we mistakenly, you could say, we misuse forgiveness as a means to somehow, we think we have to maybe, because we're supposed to forgive, we're supposed to, in the same tone, lessen or somehow belittle what took place. You know, we, we say, well, okay, I, I guess you're trying to convince yourself, I guess it wasn't that bad. Or you convince yourself, you know, I sh with forgiveness, I, I should just be able to get over this. I should be able to let it go. No. 
that has nothing to do with forgiveness. That has nothing to do with forgiveness because what took place, it was offensive, it was wrong, it was sin, it was evil, and in some cases, it was the worst of evils. Uh, For an example, statistically, uh, one in every 10 people in the United States, so thus one in every 10 of us in this room, have been the victim and experienced the horrific evil and the brokenness of physical or sexual abuse at some point in their life. And with more than 2,400 people who call First Christian Church home, that's over 240 people within the life of our church and within the life of our congregation together who have experienced the horrific um, pain and struggle and story that I can't understand of pain from physical or sexual abuse, whether in their childhood or at some point in their lifetime. And it's said really that one in every 10 is even low because that's just those reported. And so to call things like this, anything less than sin or evil, anything less than what it is, has nothing to do with forgiveness. And so it's in the greatest depths of our brokenness that we can and should confess and acknowledge and recognize the full weight of the pain associated with whatever that was. That is our first step. And yes, in the big things, but also, also recognize, again, this is for those of you who are like, okay, I don't have something like that in my life. Don't dismiss this. You've got to understand, we've all got to understand that we need forgiveness in the daily rhythms of our life too. The, again, maybe the little debts, the small things that happen every day. For example, maybe it's just your spouse who just said something that, you know, it felt unloving or felt disrespectful uh, or kiddos in the room. I know there's times where, you know, you had something that you were looking forward to that um, you had maybe a big event or a big test and you're either really excited or really nervous about it and you come home and your parents completely forget to ask about how that went and they just completely forgot that you had it and, you know, and it hurts. Or maybe fellas in the room, you know, maybe you were you know, on that Trading Spaces show a number of years ago. And, you know, some designer came in and just ripped out your ceiling fan, you know. It's the little things. It's the little things, too, that we must recognize that we are to forgive and to move forward and to recognize whatever level of pain that's associated with it that we can express and we can acknowledge that pain. We see in Joseph that he, he does, he expresses fully the weight of the pain associated with the weight of the fence. He, it says that he wept so loudly that those who weren't even in the room could hear him. Throughout the whole kingdom, they could hear his weeping. When Joseph, in verse three, he reveals his identity to his brothers, he expresses the pain, but notice he doesn't just leave it there. The first thing he does is after expressing that pain is he also expresses and acknowledges the offense that took place. He doesn't just blow past it, verse uh, four. He says, I am your brother, the one that you sold into Egypt. And so notice what Joseph doesn't say in verse 4. He doesn't say, you know, guys, it's been a long time. It's been 13 years. You know, we were all a lot more immature. You know, it's, it's not a big deal. Let's just, let's just all move on. No, Joseph doesn't do that. He, does, he, he acknowledges the wrong, and that's the thing that we need to do first. We acknowledge the wrong to take true steps forward in that broken relationship, to acknowledge the pain, to acknowledge the offense. And then from there, we don't just stop there, we go from there to secondly, we have to take that and we have to surrender it to God. From there, we have to take that pain, you have to take that offense, we've gotta surrender it to God. We've gotta surrender that acknowledged pain, surrender that acknowledged offense to God. In other words, don't let the pain become a cul-de-sac. Don't let it become a dead end of bitterness and resentment. 
We see that this was done by Joseph. You, could, you can tell in preparation for this confrontation with his brothers over the 13 years, God had been doing a work to prepare him for this moment. He had been surrendering it to God long before this converta- confrontation ever takes place. And we see this, uh, that even in the midst of this great pain that Joseph is express, expressing, in the very next words that come out of his mouth, the very next verse, verse five, follow along, this is how Joseph then is able to express how he has surrendered this to God and express that to his brothers. He says it this way, he says, and now, now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no more plowing or reaping. Verse seven, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here but God, he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler over all of Egypt. And so we can see that in the example of Joseph trusting God, surrendering this to God, we too, we can take that next step. We can prayerfully surrender that issue to God. And you might, again, it might be just such a great and big and like you don't even know the words to say that express your um, surrender to God in this. That's okay. It says in God's word that the Holy Spirit intercedes for where we don't have the words. And so maybe all you have is just literally a physical posture of just hands down, just signifying you're gonna release this to God and just say, I surrender, I surrender. That's it, I surrender. And God knows. He knows what you need. He know, it, says, it says in his word, Jesus says that God knows what you need before you even ask him. And nevertheless, we still need to express that need in prayer saying, God, I surrender. I trust you. I surrender. And so surrender the brokenness to God. And you don't have to do this alone. You can still do this, I guess, prayer, yes, prayerfully individually, but also recognize you have your church, you have your small group, you have your close friends who are alongside you to pray with you, to surrender that to God. And then from there, once you've surrendered this to God, the third movement in um, the, the process of forgiveness is to, thirdly, choose to forgive. Choose to forgive. Choose to forgive. Joseph chose to forgive. And by the Holy Spirit within you, by the end of the day, choose to forgive. Genesis chapter 50, if you want to flip over to that. Starting in verse 15. It says that when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive. Please forgive the sins of the servants of God, of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Verse 18, his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Joseph expresses the forgiveness by saying, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. It's interesting that in this particular passage that we just read, this is 
the first time that the word forgive is actually used in the Bible. This is the first time where they are asking in this situation of all the history that's happened up this point, this is the one, this is the beginning point of that word forgiveness will start in God's word. But while it's the first time it's mentioned in God's word, it certainly wouldn't be the last. Colossians three thirteen, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive just as the Lord forgave you. Ephesians 4 says to instead of, you know, to, to get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. And then one more, Matthew 6. We pray this regularly here at First Christian. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. You see, all these passages are within the context of Jesus' forgiveness for us. It's, and it's the light, it's within the freedom of the forgiveness that can only be experienced in Jesus Christ that we are then out of the overflow able to and empowered to choose forgiveness. Simply put, as forgiven people, as forgiven people, we are then to forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. Just as God has forgiven you, we are to forgive one another. Now, if I could call a timeout here in the middle of kind of the traditional preaching of a sermon. Uh, this is the point in the message where, and I've, I've used this term before, that again, as you think about maybe the weight uh, or the reality of the implications of, of, of what has happened to you, um, I don't want to commit before you what I've called ministerial malpractice. Ministerial malpractice where some preacher gets up and in just a few short words uh, somehow minimizes or lessens in any way the weight uh, or the the value of what happened to you in that situation. The depth and the pain of that wrong that was done to you. Um, But recognize again as we pointed in that first step that forgiveness doesn't have anything to do with lessening the reality of the implications. That pain is still there, but forgiveness has everything to do with something else without that person. And just maybe to help this a little bit, um, I'm going to tell you Craig's story, that if you're still harboring unforgiveness, maybe in your own life or maybe quite often it's on behalf of a loved one that you can't seem to forgive. The story of Craig might help. This is a true story. Um, And this is his response. These were his words uh, to his sister who had been um, molested for years by a close family friend. He wrote it this way. Um, He said, the root of bitterness. He says, it grows in a soil of hurt. He said that the roots, they absorb and they store. And my heart, it absorbed and it stored hurt and anger and hatred and thoughts of revenge. And then catch this next line. It says, love, as we know from scripture, keeps, is to keep no record of wrongs, but bitterness. Bitterness keeps detailed accounts. And that's what I did over and over. As I played that story in my mind, each time I pictured that man, my hatred grew. And so for Craig, those detailed accounts, he recognized those detailed accounts of hurt and hatred and anger and thoughts of revenge, each one of them served as a prison bar that actually surrounded Craig. You see, if I, if I could sum up what forgiveness is all about in just one word, I would have to say that forgiveness at the end of the day is all about freedom. 
Forgiveness is all about freedom. That's the big idea. That forgiveness is all about, you could say, setting someone free. That forgiveness is about releasing the captive, releasing the one you have captive, and experiencing that the one who is actually being set free is you. That you are the one that's actually being set free. Because when we harbor bitterness and we are, you know, keeping close score of that detailed account of wrongs against us and we're plotting our revenge, we think we have that other person captive. We think we have them behind bars and that they're not going to get out of this emotional debt that we have them imprisoned to until they pay back every last penny or they get the revenge that they deserve. And so we think we have this, you could say, almost like this theoretical chokehold on that person. We've got them right where they want them. We're not letting them go. And the reality is that when we think we have that other person right where we want them, that the only throat that we have hands around is actually our very own. That when we think we have them in the chokehold, it's our own neck that we are choking in bitterness and unforgiveness. It's our own bars that we are imprisoning ourselves with, with bitterness and unforgiveness. My grandmother, uh, who passed away about a year and a half ago, she said, um, and she was just confessing because she had this neighbor who um, had uh, built up like the grade on their backyard. And so all the water was like flooding into her backyard and she was retired and homebound. And so when like, that's your place, like that's a big deal. And she, she knew she was, she was bitter and she was angry and she, that's all she could talk about. And she said it this way, which was interesting to me. Um, and you know, my grandmother, this is exactly how she would say it. She said, unforgiveness is like carrying around a big bag of garbage. It's heavy and it stinks. <laughs> Anne Lamont, she put it this way, author Anne Lamont, she says that unforgiveness is like eating rat poison but expecting the other person to die. And see, when you choose to forgive, when you choose forgiveness, you put the garbage down, you set the captive free, and you discover that the one who is actually being set free is in fact you that you are the one being set free when you choose to forgive, when you choose God's way. And with that, when it comes to forgiveness, you know, as I was thinking about this, you know, maybe you're sitting here and you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, I wish the person who I offended could hear this because you recognize you're on the other side of that equation, that the reason the relationship is broken in your life is because you are the one that needs to be forgiven. And so I added this one, like a, you could say a 3B. There's three, but then there's three B. Like maybe it's you that needs to seek forgiveness in the midst of a broken relationship. And I want to recommend to you a tremendous resource I came across when working with the other 14 churches on this topic. Um, it's called, um, it's from Peacemaker Ministries. You can find a bunch of their stuff at peacemaker.net when it comes to reconciling broken relationships. In fact, this week in your Go Together small group, you're going to look at one of their peacemaking pathways, uh, particularly when it comes to seeking forgiveness. And so I just want to highlight a couple of those to you real quick, those points, because they're so good. Um, so when it comes to you needing to seek forgiveness, uh, first, address everyone involved. The confession should go as far as the offense. And so an example of this would be, you know, maybe you just like blew up on your spouse, but you did so in front of your kids. And so not only do you need to seek forgiveness with your spouse, but you need to seek forgiveness for the way in which you treated their mom, treated their dad. Avoid ifs and buts. These words mean you don't believe you're in the wrong or that you are actually just seeking to blame others. We must own our mistakes by avoiding ifs and buts. Admit specifically, I love this, we love to be vague about ourselves and amazingly specific about others. <laughs> Confess your specific actions and underlying attitude. 
from there, acknowledge the hurt. Just like they have to do on their first step, you acknowledge on their behalf the hurt, express understanding and genuine sorrow for what you affected in that person. From there, accept the consequences. A willingness to accept the consequences is often the mark of a genuine apology. From there, alter or change your behavior. And again, this is not in your own strength, but with God's help, explain how you have a plan to make changes. And then ultimately, ask for forgiveness. And this gives the offended person the opportunity to respond and express forgiveness. And there's scripture passages that go with each one of those points there. And so maybe it's you that needs to seek forgiveness, or maybe it's you that needs to extend forgiveness, or maybe... I think quite often in the daily rhythm of our lives, we recognize it's probably some measure of both. In most broken relationships, there's some measure of both that need to take place. We need to seek forgiveness. We need to extend forgiveness. And in our world's kind of way of doing things, let's be honest, the way in which you win in broken relationships, it seems to me, is whoever can hold out the longest is the one that wins. Well, Jesus says that the first will be last and the last will be first. In God's economy, the one who goes first, the one who seeks forgiveness first, the one who extends forgiveness first, that is winning. That is winning in God's economy. And so extend forgiveness and seek forgiveness. And then from there, as you are able to do what, you know, you can't control the other person, but you can control yourself. As you extend those, uh, those steps from there, where possible, live at peace. And where not, you might need to let it rest in peace. In Romans 12, um, and again, this is comes when it comes to broken relationships, uh, the Apostle Paul warns, it says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not store up bitterness and revenge thoughts, but instead, it goes on that in forgiveness, as much as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so the reality is, while you may choose to extend or to seek forgiveness, the opposing party may not receive those efforts well. They may not receive those efforts at all. You know, perhaps circumstances on earth don't even allow for that conversation. There, there, there's no, you know, willingness to respond or to listen or to have a conversation. Uh, maybe they're just completely out of contact altogether. In some cases, the person is even deceased. Recognize that in all those circumstances, that doesn't mean you can't forgive. Romans 12 says, as, as much as it is possible, as far as it depends on you, because, remember, forgiveness doesn't have or depend on what someone else does. It's not about what they do. Forgiveness depends on what you do. Because, again, forgiveness is about setting the captive free and experience that the first captive that's set free is you. That it is you that is being set free in the process of forgiveness. And so when you set the captive free, when you choose forgiveness, as much as it's dependent on you, then fifthly, experience experience what God can do when God does what only God can do. Experience what God can do when you allow God to do what only God can do. That is the story of Joseph. These kinds of things, they don't happen aside from the hand of God. Genesis 45, again, it says that this is the continuation of the story of with his brothers in Genesis 45. It says that Joseph, he then threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And so Benjamin, he was now the youngest. He was born after Joseph was sort, uh, you know, sold into slavery. And so he's now the 12th brother. And he puts his arms around his baby brother who had never met and he wept. So he gets to meet his baby brother, embracing him, weeping. And then it says that Joseph then kissed all of his other brothers and wept over them. And afterwards, his brothers talked with him. 
Again, we looked at this in Genesis 50. It says, uh, but Joseph, this is what God did. He said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives, that's what God can do when he allowed God to do what only God could do. And then verse 21, this is a new verse for us. We haven't looked at this yet. So then, he says to his brothers, don't be afraid. Now I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. God took, God did what only God could do by taking this horrific offense, this betrayal, this harm, this hurt, and he used it for the saving of many lives. And even more specifically, the saving of those same brothers who betrayed him and their children, which would go on to become these 12 brothers became the 12 tribes of Israel out of which the tribe or the brother of Judah comes the one and only Jesus Christ who would then be the savior of the world. And thus, if you're here today with Jesus Christ as savior and your Lord, then that is the savior of you, your life, both in this life and for all of eternity. And it's because Joseph chose to forgive that God did what only God can do because Joseph chose to forgive. You and I are here today in the process of the way God ordained it, saved, forgiven of our own sin, which brings us to the most important point when it comes to this message that as you wonder, as you wonder what, you know, what could possibly be on the other side of forgiveness, if you could experience what God could do when only you allow God to do what God can do, um, you might be asking, okay, how is God possibly going to do that with my circumstance? How is he, I know my story, there's, it's been years, how is God going to work in this broken relationship and make any possible good out of it as you've sitting here been picturing this kind of in line with everything you've heard today? The answer is, how will God do this? I don't know. I don't know specifically how God will do this in your broken relationship, but I do know this. I do know that God in Jesus Christ took the offense, took the offense of a blood-stained cross and three days later turned it into an empty tomb. That whoever believes in him might be receiving the gift of eternal life, both in this life and for all of eternity because we have received forgiveness in him. And that is our most important point, that at the end of the day, it's all about the power of Jesus' forgiveness extended to us that we are then able to forgive others. You see, we think about broken relationships. How did God choose to respond to the broken relationship that we have with him? through the ultimate sacrifice of forgiveness by giving his one and only son that we might be forgiven. And so to fully embrace that reality um, at this time, if you're serving communion this morning, we'd invite you to go and prepare for that now. We thank you for that. As really, when it comes to this whole Tell Me More series and particularly this topic today, how do we respond to broken relationships? I, as I thought about this sermon and all the tips and the pointers and you know, the steps, I really ultimately have no counsel, no advice, no way in which to encourage or to tell you more about the topic of restoring a broken relationship, less the example and the power that has been extended to each of us in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so to ensure that that would be central to our conversations always and forevermore until he comes back again, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed to that sacrifice to set up and to allow for that forgiveness of us, he says it this way. He says, while he was with his original disciples, they were still eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. 
Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so what does that forgiveness look like? The forgiveness given to us in the midst of a broken relationship between us and God? Isaiah 118, God says it this way. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, your offenses against God, though they will be made as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, as is far, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And so may we always remember, it's right here in Jesus leading us in what forgiveness looks like by forgiving us as we then are able to step into forgiving others. And so we remember how that was made possible through his broken body and shed blood as we take the bread and the cup and know that you don't have to be a member here at First Christian Church to participate. If you have received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and you follow him as Lord, then we welcome you to participate freely as the emblems are passed. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts to, to remember him. Father God, out of the overflow of your forgiveness, we know that we can forgive. And that starts with you, that you, as the great forgiver of our great debts, we also forgive our debtors. And so we pray that prayer in the context of the prayer that you taught us to pray as your people. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.